and um, plus we get then memory verses, so that's a good thing. They're going to have a lot more time, good time with the Lord, and um, so anyway, that's well, thanks for coming and visiting us if you're a visitor today. Um, I like to start with Proverbs because it's just one of my favorite books. So uh, today being the date that it is, I picked from um, chapter 16, Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And when I grew up, which was admittedly in the 60s, there was at least as much emphasis then as there is now about seeking happiness. It's just that there was this eruption of the sales of happiness because television was kind of in its, the beginning of its heyday. Um, I remember the, 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 the peacock, remember, in living color. Some of you are old enough to remember when TV moved from black and white to color and how wonderful that was. And there was so much that happened on that about, um, about a lot of ways that it would suggest how to be happy. Here's one. But a movie tonight, huh? Wow, what's that aftershave you're wearing? You high karate aftershave is so powerful, it drives women right out of their minds. That's why we have to put instructions on self-defense in every package. High karate, the brisk splash-on aftershave that smooths and soothes and cools. High karate, aftershave, cologne, and gift sets. High karate, be careful how you use it. Be careful how you use it. It's, they sold a lot of that, that stuff. Did you ever smell it? It's terrible. Maybe it wasn't supposed to smell good to me. I don't know, but it apparently it had magical powers. <laughs> magical powers. There is, um, there's a lot on the, there's a lot out there you can study about happiness. There's, so here's a world map of happiness. Now, this is not a joke. This was done by sociologists who tried to figure out based on surveys and uh, at the level of a country who was, ha- where was happiness? Now, the happiest is blue, and the most unhappy is red. So you can tell the different gradations in there, and I can't really, I, don't, I wasn't going to go into too much detail, but you can see, apparently, um, Australia and um, the Netherlands and the United States and Canada, we're pretty happy. Comparatively, we're, we're pretty happy. And um, I, I guess that's interesting. I mean, it's kind of hard because I mean, there's some other information out there that's maybe more quantifiable for us. The number one drug by sales sold in the United States is a drug called Abilify. Last year, $7.2 billion was spent on Abilify. Abilify is an antidepressant. One of the happiest countries on the earth, the number one drug is Abilify. Now, I, I'm, uh, okay, the, what Abilify does is it, it, it what, what they say is it helps you to think more clearly and positively about yourself. I don't have any trouble with Abilify. I'm glad that it helps people. I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm sad that so many people in the happiest place, happiest country, um, would, would need the medication. It's just maybe, it's just possible that the average person that you and I encounter or that maybe, is, maybe some of us in this room today, the average person is just not all that happy. And um, I think the Disney folks were on to something when they came up with their motto, the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. It kind of, it kind of is for just a few minutes. You get to be a pirate or Luke Skywalker, and, and people are seeking happiness. And there's a premise that if you're successful, 
then you're going to automatically be happy. You know, when you're in high school, if you're good at sports, if you're successful in classes, if you, you know, date the right girl, where'd she go? Where'd my right girl go? Um, You know, those are our measures of success. But then you get out of school and you take that same kind of measurement system with you as an adult, you know. If, you, if you're a guy, you know, if you have that trophy wife, if you have a nice car, if you've got 2.3 kids, a nice home, and an English sheepdog, sheepdog, then, you know, and we, 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 we measure our success because, and, and happiness based on this list of things, and that can turn us into these goal-oriented, you know, madmen sometimes to achieve those things because that's what equals happiness. It's as if we're pursuing some little pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. If we get to this place, there's the treasure, and we dig it up, and it's there. And we put different names on our little pot of gold. You know, we call it success or fame or popularity or, you know, some relationship. thing is that after we run after it, and we catch some of those things, maybe sometimes we catch all those things, we find out that that little pot's there, but it's really not full of happiness. It might even be empty. And there are lots of notable examples. I'll give you a couple. Muhammad Ali, you know who Muhammad Ali is. When he went to the, the Olympics and he won the gold medal, the best in his class boxer in the world, won the gold medal. And he writes in his autobiography um, that there was a day, I don't know if it was St. Louis or where it was, but in, he was back in the United States and he was in a coffee shop. And he left the coffee shop. He wore that medal a lot in those days. And he left that coffee, coffee shop absolutely angry and brokenhearted. He had just been, he, he, he drove to a bridge and took his gold medal off and <laughs> threw it, I think, in the Ohio River. Gone. Why? Because the gold medal winner, the best boxer in his class in the world, had just been told, you can't have coffee here because you're black in his own country. He had a level of success. Would you agree? And he wasn't happy. Understandable. Marilyn Monroe, sad story. Um, I think at the time she was probably the most adored, or, you know, she was, I mean, she was at the top of her game. Let's put it that way. Beautiful, sexy, she was all of this. And her life ended because she took her own life by taking too many pills. So we've had fame, success, um, beauty. They did not equal happiness. There's another guy, you've probably heard of a guy named John Paul Getty. He was born in Minnesota. He lived most of his life in England, known for owning Getty Oil. He was rich. At the time, they considered him the richest man in the world in his time. Um, He died with a couple billion dollars. What's that? (laughs) Um, I mean, when he died, uh, uh, his estimated worth was a little over $2 billion. Um, In today's money, that's probably a little over $8 billion. And um, he was asked, what is it that will, t- what will make you happy? His answer, one more dollar or one more billion or one more million. But he said this, but I would trade it all for one good marriage. He was married five times. Five times. Um, I was just, just intrigued by this comment. I thought, you know, how, how interesting this guy who has access to anything he wants, 
billions of dollars. And, and he says, one good marriage. And he had five, five, five marriages. They weren't necessarily five good marriages um, because he has another quote that he says. <laughs> Here's another quote. He says, five wives can't all be wrong. <laughs> I think that's a comment about maybe himself. He's being refreshingly honest. Five wives have said, forget this. I don't care if you have $2 billion. I'm out of here. And they can't all be wrong. So he's saying something there about himself. Interesting statistics uh, to look at his marriages. Most of them only lasted a year or two. And many times when he married um, and then divorced, he was married again that same year or by the next year. Um, so he was, his money didn't buy him happiness. And we all have these little pots of gold but the real issue is, will the pot that we're chasing, when you finally get there, is it really going to satisfy? Is it really going to make you happy? The sad truth is that you know many people, maybe some of us, will spend a lifetime chasing after some pot of gold, chasing something that's never going to make us happy. But there are a couple of... of uh, let's call them pots of gold that are never am- empty. And we're going to talk about that. And as we get into the word today, first Peter is going to help us. Um, God's going to help us learn how to live happy, happy lives. So I want to just kind of lay some groundwork here and then we'll get into our text in just a minute. Let's define what comprises happiness. Uh, three elements that I believe are essential for happiness. So here's what they are. The text is going to explain how essential element. Number one for happiness is personal peace. You've got to have some personal peace. It's, I believe a, a person's never going to be happy until um, they have peace with God and with themselves. And you and I probably know people who have lots of things. They have you know, maybe great jobs. Maybe they're wonderful, handsome, beautiful people. They've got all that, but somehow, in spite of all that, they're still not happy. They don't have peace. Okay, so you know peace. Personal. Second element is a relationship where there's mutual love is being exchanged, okay? Actual, authentic relationship. It's the idea of having a relationship with somebody where, where you're close to people and um, there's love that flows both ways, okay? So a relationship with, with an exchange of love. So, so happiness begins, I believe, with this contentment or this peace. There has to be some relationships. Um, and, but even with both of those, can still have both of those and not have happiness. And I, I believe people have, have a need. You, have, you need a reason to get up in the morning, to, to, to give your life value. People, people want to be able to look back and say, you know, my time here counted for something. And maybe some of you, that doesn't matter right now, but it will. Everybody needs, number three, a cause. You know, you need a cause to give your life to. You need, a, you need, a, you need, you need to know that your life counts and that you have some significance. So, so as a, to just summarize all those three things, and I'm going to say this. Happiness is the byproduct of those three things. It's not, it's not an end in itself. It's a byproduct of a relationship with God that brings you some peace. Relationships with people that are real and authentic, where love is going back and forth, and with some sort of a cause that's bigger than yourself. And, you know, there's there, there some examples about, about why we care about something bigger than ourselves. I mean, why do we write our names in marble and put them on top of a plot of ground? We, we want our name to, to, to go on for something. Uh, people set up trust funds. They always put them in their name. If you watch anything on PBS, we have the Walter P. Annenberg Foundation or Ollie Carnegie Mellon. You know these names. The Nobel Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. You know the background, the backstory 
on, on the Nobel Prize. Um, the company, the family company was manufacturing nitroglycerin and uh, the Nobel company. And there was this huge explosion, and there was some bad stuff that happened. And, and Alfred Nobel took a look at that and said, okay, and he was kind of an inventor. And he figured out a way to take nitroglycerin, and he invented dynamite, or discovered a way to make it safe, okay? And we call it dynamite. Well, obviously, the world was using a lot of nitroglycerin for a lot of reasons, mining, different things, and people would die because it was very unstable. It's easy to make. It's hard to live with. It will kill you. And so he figured out a way to handle this explosive that was safer, sold it all around the world. And, of course, militarily, it had huge implications, so it created huge fortunes. Alfred Nobel became very, very rich. And uh, he had brothers. One of his brothers' name was Ludwig. And in 1888, Ludwig died. And a French newspaper published the obituary for Ludwig, but but incorrectly put Alfred's first name in the obituary, okay? So Alfred Nobel got to read his own obituary before he died. And here's what the French... I'm going to take you a quote, a translated quote out of this obituary. The merchant of death is dead. <laughs> so Alfred Nobel gets to see his own obituary, and he looks at that statement. He says, merchant of death, this is what people believe my life counted for. It had an impact on him. And he took his huge fortune and created these uh, prizes, the Nobel Prize in Peace, the Nobel Prize for Peace, for physics, for all of these different things. And he put his, stuck his name on it. And so, um, you know, he's, he, he's done all of this to, to advance peace in the world because he didn't like the way that his name and his cause was associated. So... In this, let's call it an imperfect world, how do you get to happiness? How, how do you get to the place where you love life? And in his letter to, written to Christians, Peter tells us both how to do it, and he tells us the conditions that God gives. So we're going to pick up our text in 1 Peter. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's okay. got you covered. We're going to put it on the wall. I encourage you, church, to bring your Bibles. <laughs> Um, and uh, to get in them regularly, too, not just on Sunday morning, and just don't, don't let me be the only person that ever shows you the inside of a Bible. So we're going we're gonna, to gonna go through this once, and we'll come back to some of these things. And, and at the very beginning, Peter starts out with five you know, real quick commands about how to live um, in Christian relationships. Verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind. Some translations say, be in harmony. Okay? Be in one mind with another. Having compassion for one another, live as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Then Peter starts getting into the hard stuff here now. Okay, that first part we don't always do. It's challenging enough, but, but now we're going to get to the hard part here, um, how to relate to people who don't like you, okay, because <laughs> we have an approach. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, which just basically means insult for insult. In other words, when people give you a hard time, you don't retaliate. But on the contrary, blessing. Okay, slow down, Terry. Somebody's being mean to me. Okay, so we're going to bless people that curse us. If I want to be happy, that's what I'm supposed to do. 
Okay, I'm just going to set that aside for now, and we'll, we'll come back to that, Terry, um, but keep reading. Then, so, so, then, so then now Peter now gets on to the reasoning. Reasoning here, knowing that you were called to this. Okay, this is getting a little harder. Slow down some more. I mean, what's the this that we're called to? Here's the deal. When the Lord saved you and invited you into his family, and called you into his Christian family. He called to you and he said, this is part of the deal. Bless those people who curse you. It's part of the package. It's not an option. Yikes. What possible plan, God, would you have for that? I'm supposed to start blessing evildoers. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm thinking out, I'm saying out loud what I've thought before and probably many of you have thought too. He goes on and explains it. The purpose, the plan is so that you may inherit a blessing. That word blessing is eulogia. It's, it's the word we get our, our word eulogy from. It means it's, 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 it's saying good things. The purpose for being called to this is so that you can inherit a blessing, so you can be happy. Then starting in verse 10, Peter is now going to actually quote Psalm 34. Okay, so the next text, you'll find the same thing. If you t- turn back, you don't have to do a Psalm 34. We got it right here. Um, verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, literally that's wish to love life. For you who would wish to love life and have good days, be happy. Here's the deal. Now, remembering the context, if you, if you haven't been here before the last few, few, few Sundays, I've been doing a series talking about, you know, how to deal when, you know, how do you deal with life when your government isn't, working right and treating you right or when you have a bad boss or when your marriage isn't working out. So that's where the context is. Things around you haven't been treating you righteously and so how to respond to it. That's the context. He says, if you want to see good days, then he gives three conditions. First one, let him refrain his tongue from evil and let his lips and his lips from speaking deceit. Okay. Condition number two, verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Condition number three, let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, he's talking about reconciling relationships here. And then in verse 12, he gives the reason. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. There it is. It's the source of happiness. It ultimately comes from God. And he knows your desires, and you ask for things. And when these conditions are met, he answers. But look at the flip side. It goes on. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Wow. So, sounds like some pretty simple principles about how to be happy. Not so easy to deal with. And remember, the axiom here is, you know, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, then you bless. You put that blessing out there. That's the axiom. And, and, and Paul, Paul told us that Jesus said, hey, it's more blessed to, to give than to receive. But I don't know. It's not my nature. <laughs> Some of you, I know it is your nature. It's not my nature. I, you know, I don't always have the right heart. I drive down the freeway, and somebody takes my space that I'm planning to be Give me more space. That's my space. And I'm dreaming of 
missile launchers and... <laughs> the truth is, if I had them in my car, I wouldn't fire them, probably. Probably. <laughs> it's just not my nature to bless somebody who's... It's not your nature either. Be honest. Come on. Somebody's treating you incorrectly. Your, your nature is to resist. It's just, I mean, if I walked up to you right now, I said, raise your hand, raise your hand. I put my hand on your hand, and if I, and I didn't say anything to you, hey, put your hand up. Why are you pushing back? It's his nature to push back. That's in every one of us. Thank you, Eric. I, 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 no warning there. I mean, that's our nature when we're pushed, is to push back. It's so different than blessing. And so I've read this scripture Lots of times, maybe you have, and I think, okay, I'm going to pretend I didn't read that. <laughs> if, maybe if I don't know, I'm not accountable, and maybe I can be happy. Maybe I can find another way to happy, because I don't want to do your way, God. It's just, there it is. It stays right there in the Word of God the whole time. It doesn't go away. And uh, even though Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, it's just, it's just by our old nature, we just don't want to do that. And instead, we, we, we want to say, you know, what do I get out of this relationship? You know, what am I going to get from this company, this employer? What, you know, what am I going to get from this person or that person? What's in it for me? What's going to come back to me? And when we're always placing demands on others, you know, then what happens is we tend to be very frustrated because the others don't meet our expectations that were unreasonable in the first place. So because of our tendency, God kind of summarizes this, and, um, and it's, you know, what he says here is kind of a doozy. So let's go back and let's pick this apart a little bit. Verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Now, I want you to catch something here, because... If you let this, it will just become a checklist for you that you will never check off. And the problem is this. It's not enough just to change our thinking about these things. God is calling us here to change the way we feel. The way we feel. Not our thinking. These words that he's using here, harmony, compassion, sympathy, tenderhearted, courteous, be of one mind. These, this, this be of one mind, um, live in harmony, it's the same word used in Philippians 2 where it says, consider the, other, the interests of others more highly than, your, than yourself. The, the root word here comes, it has the idea of the midriff. It's kind of funny when you study words that are in scriptures, you get this word midriff, okay? Midriff, it, it means the place in the heart. It's where you feel. God is saying, what are your feelings? He's not saying, do this, check mark, check mark. He's saying, get your feelings. Get to the place where your feelings are these things. That's, That's way harder than your thinking. <laughs> because we want to own freedom for our feelings. Well, it's the way I feel. Well, then change your feelings. By the way, that's not marriage counseling advice. <laughs> you can say that phrase, and you should, but only to yourself. You have no, have no right to tell somebody else to change their feelings about anything. By the way, that does not work. 
And I know that because of the reason you think I know that. <laughs> but it's feelings. And the focal point of this entire command is action. Do something there. And so he's saying, here's what he's saying. The very first step to becoming a blesser is we have to get our focus and our thinking off of ourselves and onto others. The very first step. What do other people in my family need? That's the idea. And this word compassion literally means to enter into the feelings of another. Enter into the feelings. I don't know how you do that. I mean, to feel like they feel. You know, it's, it's like feel, like, feel joy like they feel joy. Feel, feel sorrow like they feel sorrow. You know, it, it, the word compassion here is, is, okay, another interesting word. It's a very strong word. It, 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 it has to do with the, the feelings, the way they feel from their point of origin. And the word that's used is, is very similar to the word that's used for a woman's womb. It's the point of origin. Why do they feel? Get down in there and understand it. It's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge with somebody that you, that you love and you want to. It's a bigger challenge with that guy that's in your space on the freeway lane. <laughs> it is. So we change our thinking and, and our feelings, and we become pa- compassionate and uh, sympathetic and tenderhearted. The problem is, this is a little bit rare, even among Christians. It really is. More often, you know, what we end up asking is, you know, okay, but what, what can you do for me? You know, in our marriages, we say, well, you know, you, you, you need to meet my need. Don't you realize I'm lonely? Don't, don't, you, don't you realize I need to talk? Don't you realize I need to rest? Don't you realize this about me? I need these things. That's more likely. And Peter's saying that, that if you can get this, it's going to transform the way you relate to people. You know, an example is, you know, you... You have your plan, and some of us are planner people. We plan in advance, and other people, it's like laissez-faire, hey, que sera, sera. And those are like, they don't mix, right? And I think the Lord intentionally puts those opposite temperaments into your life, whatever temperament you are. If you're que sera, sera, the Lord's going to put some planner in your life that's going to teach you to plan, and if you're a planner, the Lord's going to put a que sera, sera in your life that's just going to, you know, just teach you to loosen up some. And the point is that at some point, you're going to get a phone call from somebody. And, and, or you're going to just see it in their eyes. And there's going to be some breaking going on in their heart. Something is just falling apart in there. And they just, their legs are figuratively wobbly. They're weak need. They can't, and they need somebody just to listen and to talk to and to love and to find a place of strength. And they say, hey, can, you, can we like meet early and spend some time together for breakfast? And you're thinking, well, I got, because <laughs> you're the planner. And, and something in you signals, and the Holy Spirit says, make this a yes, Terry. Get off your little agenda and your plans. I'll cover this stuff. Get, get there. And and all you're doing is making this a priority because you want to get down to the point of origin and learn to have compassion. And, 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 and God is saying that there's something here that is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to build life into another person in, your, in the way you think and the way you feel and in your actions. And Peter is saying in these first chapters that we've been spending this last month or so on, um, you know, even if you're being slandered, 
even if you're getting unjust treatment, if, if you will think of others, if you will feel deeply for others and, and then act to meet their needs, there is this byproduct. Happiness is going to start to permeate your life. Your life. And when we can reverse that view and get our focus on other people, it's, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, what about my boss? What about my neighbor? The, what about the one who gives me a hard time? My in-laws, what, a, what about them? What about the people I don't get along with and, you know, even in church? <laughs> God says, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. He's saying, don't retaliate. And I'd like to suggest I'm not going to take time this morning, but if you're a note taker, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14, there's a great explanation of this whole concept. It's ex extended, but he basically says, you know, he says, bless, don't curse. He says, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You probably know that. And he basically says, never ever take your own revenge. You just leave that to God. And um, so now, I want to also say that this concept, use this wisely in an appropriate context. It doesn't mean that if somebody is absolutely tearing up your life, that you're getting completely unjust treatment, that you don't exercise all of the reasonable courses of resolution that are available to you. It doesn't say that. I'm not saying that at all. This is speaking to personal retaliation. It means you don't get bitter. You don't get angry. You don't try to get back. Bless those who curse you, just like our Lord did. He, he was blessing people hanging on the cross. He was being insulted. He was thinking thoughts of blessing for those people. So a rhetorical, the obvious rhetorical question is, you know, when people are giving you a hard time, you know, even your family members or, or at work, when you get mad and upset, or upset and bitter and angry and resentful and... Here's the question. Who gets the ulcers? Who can't sleep at night? Is it, you know, you or them? And here's what will really accomplish something in those moments. Entrust this situation and those people to God. Lord, this hurts. I'm just giving this to you, Lord. I'm going to plow through this because you tell me to in your word, and I'm leaning into trust, but this hurts. I want you to know that, and I'm going to ask God for you to, to just deal with this. And then you willfully choose, by God's grace, to bless the people that are doing you wrong. And here's what Scripture says. You will find happiness. <laughs> and it's likely that there are people sitting in this room today, and you've allowed an unkind boss or a difficult in-law or some person that just gave you a raw deal. You've given them the power to ruin many days of your life because you're angry at them. Now, listen to the love here. This is coming from love. Don't do that. Don't give them that power. Don't give that kind of power over your happiness Take it back. Take it back. You trust God. He'll sort this out. He will. God is just. Just bless those people. And this passage ends with Peter quoting from Psalm 
34, um, verse 10, for the person who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do wrong. Peter is quoting Psalm 34 here. Psalm 34 was written by David. And uh, here's, you know, David was at this point, when he wrote this psalm, he was running from King Saul, okay? And if you know your Bible um, history, Saul had vowed to kill him and, um, because he was jealous of David's success and his obvious favor from heaven and from people. And it would have been really easy as David was running for his life. It would have been really easy for him to, to, to in his mind, turn himself into a victim. He was. But to focus on his victimhood and, 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 and to, he could have incited anger among people. He, he, could, have, he could have thought, you know, I'm going to just fix this on my own. He could, have, he could have thought of ways to make Saul pay. But instead, David puts his trust and his faith in God and in God eventually bring justice. I, um, I do want to flip back to read that psalm. Knowing the circumstances, David is being chased. Saul is intent to kill him. Saul is, Saul is using the full authority and power of the government to kill David. And David was just minding his own business, obeying God, stepping into an anointing and a call that put... David was doing the right and righteous thing, and Saul just was being unrighteous. It was a terrible attack. It went on for a long period of time. And here's David's psalm, and I'm going to encourage you to adopt this as your prayer for your circumstance. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. That's us today. We're hearing of it and being glad for David. Way to go, man. Verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought, the, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good things. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? That's our topic today. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. I love seeing the Old Testament prophesy 
about Jesus. See that tucked in there? Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trusted him shall be condemned. I want to pray with you now and for you and hope that you feel encouraged that the Lord, your God, will cover you in your circumstance just like he did David. 